Good morning, good afternoon, or good night, depending on what part of the world you're visiting us. We're here with Vern Harnish. Hey, Vern, how are you? Very well, Daniel. Great. Where are you now? I'm in Wilmington, Delaware. I think you're down in Leon, Mexico. I'm in Mexico now, yeah, uh, teaching a workshop here. Uh, I did, I, I, the workshop already started. I just came out for a couple of hours of the webinar, and then I'll be back. Uh, but great to have you here. Thank you very much uh, for your time. Hey, guys, uh, we have people from all over the world. I, we would love to hear where are you uh, in the world. If you could tell us on the, on the questions uh, just what part of the world you're visiting us, it will be amazing. Alberta, Lori, thank you very much. Um, Paris, awesome, Yarem. Uh, Houston, Texas, Portugal, Dublin, uh, uh, Bangalore, Nicaragua. Uh, Bangalore, I'll be there in a couple of weeks uh, in Bangalore. Uh, Germany, Victoria, British Columbia, Madrid, Spain, Amsterdam, Manila, Toronto. Uh, well, all over the world, that's awesome. Great guys, thank you. Cool, everyone's awake, everyone's ready to learn. Uh, Brooklyn, uh, Kent, England, Lithuania, Nashville, uh, Toronto, Bend, Sweden, Italy, well, all over the world. All right, awesome. Guys, we have uh, over 250 people already on the call. Super, super excited to learn with Vern directly on the three bars that keep your company from scaling. So um, today we're gonna just give a quick intro about Growth Institute, what you're gonna get uh, in this webinar, and then we'll get dive into uh, uh, Vern's uh, presentation, and then we'll do a Q&A. So if during the presentation you have any questions, please send your questions. We'll moderate some discussion with Vern uh, after. So just a little introduction, as I said, uh, that we're gonna do. Then we're gonna talk about the three barriers some tools on how can you implement things in your company to overcome the three barriers and then the live uh, Q&A with Vern. All right, so on the next slide, uh, can you send me the next slide? Perfect. So who's Gross Institute? Uh, a little bit about us. Um, we are a group of entrepreneurs. We've been scaling our companies for the last 20 years and we learn to, to learn. We learn to love and, and uh, learn and really connect with these thought leaders and learn directly from them how to scale our company faster and reduce the drama. That's why you see here our BHAG. It says scale impact and reduce drama for 10 million leaders by 2040. That's what we're here for. Up to now, we've trained only 40,000 executives from 10,000 different companies in 64 different countries of the world. And we're super, super excited to see the results uh, our students are having or the executives that learn with us are having around the world. Uh, the next slide, it's a little bit about myself. Uh, just as an entrepreneur. Can I go to the next slide, Vern? Perfect. So this is the team that is behind Growth Institute. And by the way, we always said we have to eat our own dog food. Uh, we've been in Inc. Uh, 5,000 list for two years in a row. Uh, and with the growth we've been having this year, we should be again on the list uh, next year. Um, and we said, hey, everything we teach, we have to use internally to be able to scale our company. And this is proof that we're scaling like you. And by the way, we're exactly like you. Every day we're having uh, issues of leadership, communication, payroll, hiring a better team, uh, be able to change or improve our systems and procedures. So everything we teach, we also implement in our business. All right, now let's talk a little bit about Vern. Um, Vern is the founder of the World Renewed Entrepreneurs Organization, EO, with over 14,000 members worldwide. By the way, I am a member of EO for 19 years in a row and loving it. It has significantly changed my life. And Bert chair for 15 years the EO Premier CEO program, Birthing of Giants, held at MIT in a program he still teaches today. I am a graduate of that program. I graduated 2003, uh, and that's when I met Bern and learned about scaling up and all of that. 
Uh, Vern is also the founder and CEO of Scaling Up, a global executive education and coaching company with over 180 partners on six continents. Vern has spent the past three decades helping companies scale up. He's the author of the best-selling Mastering Rockefeller Habits, which is translated to nine languages already. And along with the editors of Fortune magazine, he co-authored the greatest business decisions of all time that we, Jim Collins wrote the foreword for that book. His latest book is the one we're seeing on screen, is Scaling Up, Rockefeller Habits 2.0, and has won eight major international book awards, including the prestigious International Book Award for Best General Business Book. Vern is also uh, chairs the Scale Up Summits in collaboration with Bloomberg, and serves on several boards, including chair of the Riordan Clinic, uh, co-founder and chair of Geoversity, and board member of the Million Dollar Woman Movement, a private investor in many, many scale-ups. Vern enjoys piano, tennis, and magic as a card-carrying member of the International Brotherhood of Magicians, and most important, mentor to many, many successful entrepreneurs. Uh, I'm impressed every time I travel the world, I meet people all over the world, and when they hear that I'm partnered with Vern, they just come and give me a hug and say, hey, tell Vern that he really helped me scale my company, and that's, I think, the most important thing. He has helped all of us be able to have a better life and more impact in our communities. So, Vern, thank you very much for that. You bet, Daniel. Thank you so much for that introduction and look, all the work that you're doing all over the world as well. And I want to I want to welcome everyone from around the world. I just got back from Shanghai, where last week we entertained about 800 uh, CEOs, EO members, YPO members, their teams. Uh, we've launched the book in Chinese Simplified, and then we had a two and a half day intensive workshop, which is what we've got online for anybody 24-7. But it was a Great time to get to that part of the world. Uh, China's economy is slowing. You could feel it in Shanghai. And the leadership of China realizes that they need not so many startups, but they need more scale-ups. And so the top leadership has been writing about it. And as a result, we I think we had an excellent book launch and about a 90-minute interview with the equivalent of the Wall Street Journal in China. So anyway, good to be back on this other side of the planet and sharing a little bit out of the book. Again, we've only got, you know, 60 minutes, 90 minutes instead of two and a half days, but I want to get into these three barriers. And the challenge is just as I suggested, there's 11,000 startups every hour, but not enough scale-ups. And the great news is, is that we've got the global economy to support scaling up. It has gone from 34 trillion to 88 trillion, just this century, two and a half times the size. In addition, uh, it really doesn't matter what industry that you're in. It works. In this case, I love the photo. It appears that the car was going to put the horse out of business, but it is an absolute thriving, growing industry, including in China, as you can see from this chart. The difference is they just needed to pivot from transportation to a much hotter industry, which is entertainment. By the way, I was just in the UK. We'll be back there in a few weeks. It's the second fastest growing entertainment segment in the UK. It also though requires that you have the right mindset. And part of the challenge is if you've had success, uh, it's really easy to start playing not to lose. We see it often with our favorite sports teams. They'll, they'll be in this massive lead and then they'll decide to kind of rest or go on defense instead of stay on offense. And the research is pretty clear around it. Those who switch those strategy have a tendency then 86% of the time to go on and lose that game. And so it's critical we come with the right mindset 
which is you and your team are still there in the game wanting to win. The challenge though, to do it and do it well, you have to be different and everybody talks about it, but a lot of folks really aren't different. If, if you wanna make software like margins, whatever industry that you're in, if you wanna kind of dominate the niche that you're focused around, you, if you're priced the same way as everyone else in the industry, you're not different. If you hire the same people that everyone else does, in the industry, you're not different. And if you deliver your product or service in the same way that your competition does, you can't say that you're different. You, you need to be different in all ways. And so it's one of the messages that we've really been taken out into the marketplace. And rather than talk about Apple, because uh, you know one of the $2 trillion companies right now on the planet, most of us can't identify with them. I want to talk about Daniel and my partner, John Ratliff. In fact, I'm here in John's uh, palatial offices for this webinar. John built a company called Apple Tree. And is it wasn't a Google or Facebook, it was in the call center business. And there are call centers everywhere in the world from Manila, who's on this call, to through India, Bangalore, and every place else. I, in some sense, consider them sweatshops of the information age. And John managed to roll up 24 of these call centers. And in an industry that averaged 200% turnover, he was able to drive that down to a record setting 18%. And one of the things we talk about in scaling up is to help every company. And that's what our coaching partners do in our education and training is how do we help you find this internal, it's often invisible to the customer, though they can feel it. Where is this internal 10 times advantage over the competition? And for John, it was clearly the fact that he had one-tenth the industry average turnover, which then allowed him to also stabilize his customer base and improve his cost basis to a point where, again, in an industry that averaged 4% profitability, we say the difference between good and great and privately held many family-owned businesses is that you should be at three to five times industry average profitability. Well, John took it from 4% to a record-setting 21.8%. And I want to put that in perspective. That was greater than Apple's profitability last year as a percentage. And so if John can do it in this industry, you can as well. And in a situation where he was able to buy these call centers for three times earnings, and that's what most uh, privately held companies sell for is three to five times earnings. He was able then to take this whole company and sell it to a $2 billion firm for a public company multiple, 14 times earnings. And so that's what we wanna do for you. Our tools, our coaching, our online learning, our technology platform, is help you achieve these same software-like margins and valuations. But it requires two very important things. And I was caught, it was cool, Scott and Mike at Atlassian Scott was kind enough to endorse the back of the book. They were in my first workshop I ever led in Sydney, Australia. They had 50 employees back in 2005. If you've been following their story, they went public then three years, four years ago now for 4.2 billion and the last I checked, they were north of 30 billion in market cap. And both Mike and Scott still own 75% of the company and had a chance to see Scott uh, just a few months ago in Vegas. I'll be then keynoting their big conference uh, next year. 
Anyway, Scott says that the two things that are really critical to making this happen for you to scale is both discipline and focus. What I also love about their story is not only have they done well uh, in terms of their financial results, but they've always been one of the best places to work in every country that they've operated. And I find interesting with the business roundtable coming out a few weeks ago and saying, look, uh, if you really want to win out in the marketplace, it's not just taking care of the customer and the shareholder, but it's also the employee and your community. And back, as you can see here, when Atlassian was a very, very small company, back when they were even smaller than when I met them at 50 employees, they made this 1% pledge. And now today at the market cap they've got in size, this is a significant contribution that they're making back to that fourth leg of stakeholders, their community. Uh, we also have found that these tools work brilliantly well inside the millennial firms, Elite SEM being named one of the best continually uh, millennial firms to work with as they've now scaled to what should be about 100 million this year. Ben's done a great job of, of acquiring other firms and bringing his culture into those organizations. And again, I'm going to be in the UK. I was there a few weeks ago and I had a chance to see Paul Wedgwood here with Splash Damage. And I love this photo that his coach, Paul Lewis, sent to me. Paul was walking up to his Ferrari there. And what did he see in the back seat? But a, a copy of Scaling Up. So look, if you take nothing else from this webinar, Scaling Up equals Ferrari. So just grab a copy and stick it in the car and it'll, it'll turn into that. And here is really our framework. Uh, it came from Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, where he said, look, if you want to go from good to three times good, if not five times. You have to have disciplined people engaged in disciplined thought through disciplined action. There's that word again, discipline. And we've mapped upon that our, our services of coaching, learning, and our technology platform. And that really led to these top three decisions. And because growth sucks cash, we added the fourth. So I wanna come back to Scott's notion that it really requires both discipline and focus. And what we became well known for early on in the first book, Mastering the Rockefeller Habit, was these fundamental three disciplines. And that's something that simply hasn't changed from the very beginning. And I, these come back from the Rockefeller era 100 years ago. And it boils down to these three things first, are you real clear and everyone else in the organization, what is our number one priority today, this week or two weeks, if you're running sprints, this quarter, this year, in the next 10 years? Uh, for most of us, we've got a calendar fourth quarter. Uh, is it clear with your team, the number one thing that we want to accomplish between now and the end of the calendar year, if we're gonna move the organization forward? Now, one of the best ways though, to figure out what that priority ought to be, if it's not, just immediately obvious is to have the kind of clarity and focus and foresight that comes with having both the quantitative and qualitative data flowing daily. So it's your numbers. Do you know what your profitability is by customer and product line and service line? Not once a month, but every day or every week. And number two, do you have that qualitative feedback coming in from customers and employees like John did through his idea flash where he was getting 10 thousand ideas and suggestions from his 650 employees every 90 days. And that data was important for him not only to continue to improve how he was serving his customers, but to take care of his employees. 
And then last, it does you no good to have this data if you don't get in the room and talk about it. And that's one of the things we're well known for is this day, week, month, quarter, year meeting rhythm. And so there are the fundamentals. Are we clear what the priority is this week? Is it based on real input from the marketplace and our own team? And number three, are we getting frequently in the room to talk about it so we can make course corrections? Now, what I love is when I come across a new framework and many of us, when it comes to goal setting, have seen this acronym SMART. Uh, but just recently in the MIT Sloan uh, Management Review, where we're hosting at MIT, this birthing of giants now called EMP program, they had suggested maybe the acronym FAST might be better. And I, I couldn't agree more. I always thought that there's a lot of confusion around the SMART acronym. And so I love that first, once you've set this goal, making sure that you're frequently discussing it. And that's why that day, week, month, quarter, year meeting rhythm is critical. Number two, you want it to be ambitious, uh, not attainable because that's hardly a stretch. I mean, that's the kind of thing that boring old big companies do. You really want this goal to be ambitious, let people stretch in the process. Number three, it does need to be specific and measurable. Otherwise, it's hard to know that we've accomplished it. And number four, is it transparent? Is it visible? Do we have scoreboards up like we would at sporting events so people know real time how they're doing? And all of this boils down to the thing we're well known for, which is this kind of underpinning of routines or habits that ultimately set you free. And if we've done it right, then our goal is threefold. First, let's reduce by 80% the time it takes for you to manage the business so that you can go out as the leaders of your companies and spend the balance of the week doing more market-facing activities. It was Sam Walton who's company now is the first to hit a half a trillion. You know, he'd get his pickup truck and his plane and spend Monday through Thursday, as his leaders do today, talking to customers, talking to employees and shopping competitors. And then only in the office on Friday, where they were then sorting through that, meeting about what it is that they learn and setting new priorities on Saturday to make their stores 1% better every week. And if you can do that in your own business, then compound interest is your friend. And then, of course, you've got to get everyone else aligned and on the same page, but that requires you to have the page for everyone to get on. And so we're well known for our one-page strategic plan that then can roll up into this simple one-page vision summary. And by the way, if we do it right, here are the results. Uh, we're going to get those financial results that John was able to achieve uh, at his company, Apple Tree. And most importantly, let's kind of enjoy the climb. Let's let's take out the drama and have a little bit more fun in the process. So there are some barriers. And at the very beginning of Scaling Up, the second chapter, it's called the barriers. In fact, you can go to scalingup.com. That's all you have to remember. And you'll see a picture of the book and next to it is this free chapter you can download. And it's the barriers chapter. You don't have to buy everybody a book. Just, you know, maybe, you know, and by the way, don't take any notes about what I say. Everything I'm saying is, is I better written probably more precisely in the book. I, I find it's important to write down what you're gonna do about what I share. And so one of the things I might have you start with is go grab that free PDF of this book called The Bear, this chapter called The Barriers and distribute that to all of your employees in the organization and begin to get them to understand what it is that you as the leaders of the organization are going through. 
And in there, we cover three barriers. So first is leadership development. The, the real constraint to scaling is right between our own ears and that of all of our people in the organization. And we really need everyone to be leaders. There's this idea of kind of being self-managed is where we are in the 21st century. And so that was barrier number one. Number two, how do we create the kind of scalable infrastructure that will support the organization as it scales so that we don't continue to make more mistakes and have a lot of rework as we add people. And number three, I'm very precise. It was research that actually came out of MIT originally, which is the most critical function if you want to scale. Not that they aren't all important, but the one that's critical is marketing. And so what I want to do in this balance of our time is kind of take you through some ideas around each one of these key barriers. And I want to start with marketing. And, and the reason it's such a challenge is that none of us, if we're in business to business, sell to companies. We all sell to people. And the challenge is that people are not logical, they're psychological. And we need to understand that from a marketing perspective. And so I want to take you back to 1983 when I had this vision of, of creating the lar world's largest entrepreneurship organization or young entrepreneurs organization. And I had read how Steve Jobs, he was in his 20s scaling up Apple, had this coach uh, and it was Regis McKenna in the marketing field. And, you know, Steve was able to scale from zero to almost two billion in his 20s, really one of the original uh, young entrepreneurs. And Regis not only was helping Steve, but Intel and Genentech and most everybody else in Silicon Valley. And so I'm a student at Wichita State University and I've got this big dream. And so I cold called Regis and I had a good elevator pitch and he agreed to take me on for free. And he's still kids with me. I've been his only free client he's had in the history of the firm. And he said, all right, I'm gonna teach you uh, what I taught Steve. And so the first thing he said is, look, you have to start out by setting up a one hour marketing meeting separate from sales. So you don't give it time, if you don't give it focus, you don't have discipline around it, then it's not gonna happen. And so I set up a one hour marketing meeting, I remember it was 10 a.m. on Mondays, and that's when I'd have a call every week with Rich uh, Moran, who was the young guy that he assigned to me on his team to coach. So my, my first question around marketing is, do you have a separate marketing meeting, separate from sales? Uh, when Steve actually came back to Apple after his wilderness years, that was the only function he chaired. And it was a three hour meeting every Wednesday afternoon. And so get that established if you don't. Second step, he then asked me the question that Bill Gates considered the best question that he had ever been asked. And it was this, he said, look, take out a piece of paper and I want you to make a list of the top 25, by the way, for most mid-market companies that are probably on this call, you want that list to be something closer to 100 to 250. But look, I was just starting up. And so I took out a yellow notepad back there in 1983. And I remember them saying, hey, the bigger the names, the faster you'll scale. And so look, I was young, dumb, and broke as the modern song uh, goes. And so I wrote down President Ronald Reagan. I, what the heck? I I want him to be the first president to utter the word entrepreneur. No other president in the United States had done that to date. And by the way, I managed to have that 
accomplished and was invited then to the White House, had a chance to meet the president, and later on uh, was invited in by uh, incoming President Bush and Dan Quayle to advise them on their entrepreneurial policy. I remember number two I put on the list, hey, Steve Jobs, I want to get him involved, and Michael Dell was number three, and there were a couple of important media um, publications, Inc. Magazine, as Daniel mentioned, in the United States that covers our Inc. 500 and 5,000, and then there was a magazine called Venture. I didn't know who owned either one of them, but they were in my top five of the 25, and then we just spent an hour every week working the list, figuring out how I was going to get to one of those people and get them involved. And what was crazy is 36 months later, everybody, all 25 on my list were involved. It's 1986, I hosted the first public uh, speech of Steve Jobs after being fired from Apple in 85. And I had President Ronald Reagan agreeing to fly in to give the open, thank goodness he got diverted and cause you don't wanna deal with those kind of security issues, but he had Mayor Bradley deliver his message for him to our audience. And I had Michael Dell there and, and Inc. Magazine and Venture and their owners, uh, Bernie Goldhurst, rest his soul, became a dear friend and supporter as is Arthur Lipper still today who owned Venture Magazine. And we were global in 36 months. And so how do you get specifically this? It was what Jim Collins said, it's, it's oh, whenever you're facing, trying to get anything accomplished, it's always a who question. It's who are the biggest names and influencers that you can get behind what you're doing. And so let me let me take you to Dallas. And again, it's not Facebook, Google, it's, it's Tony Hartle who built a chain of sun tanning salons. He was an early student at that MIT program like Daniel, and he knew about this list. And so first thing he did is he said, all right, who are some influencers in Dallas that if I could get them to endorse what I'm doing and support it, that would go a long way towards marketing and who needs a tan there, but the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. And so he became the official sun tanning salon for them. Then he needed radio ads. And he's like, all right, I need someone to be the spokesperson. Well, one of the biggest names in Dallas uh, owns the sports teams, multi-billionaire there is Mark Cuban. And so he managed then to get Mark to be the voice of his radio ads. Now think about it. You know, you're a suntanning salon like everyone else, but you've managed to bolt on to your business, the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders brand and the Mark Cuban brand. Look, it's game over. He was an outstanding operator, uh, really a practitioner of the Rockefeller habits. But having those right influencers involved really allowed him to scale to the largest regional player in his industry that he ultimately sold to the nation's largest uh, player in the sun tanning business. He then went on to spend the last 10 years making wine, which is what you do after you sell the company. And he wrote a book called Selling Sunshine, which is one I recommend to everyone who's got a book like Tony's, whether you've got uh, you know, yoga studios or fitness centers, anyone's got that kind of subscription-based business like he had with the sun tanning salon. It's an outstanding book on how you scale that. And by the way, you can't keep a great entrepreneur down. So after doing what he did for this last 10 years, his own wilderness uh, challenge like Steve Jobs, he's back in business. And he let me know last fall that he's acquired his first of what's going to be a BHAG of 20 plus of these crunch fitness centers. And Tony's back at it again. 
here's the key book. And even if you don't read it, I, I recommend that you get it and you set it on your desk and you stare at it the rest of your life. And that's Keith Ferrazzi's Never Eat Alone. By the way, Keith uh, was on Regis McKenna's team. He was one of the guys who learned marketing from Regis. And I think it is the most important key performance indicator. How many people on your list did you have breakfast with, coffee with, first lunch, second lunch, third lunch? Look, if you need to get on an airplane and fly half across your country or the world to have the right strategic lunch, that is more important than probably the other 100 things that you would put on the list. And so a good role model that who we hosted at our summit uh, last year was Sam Zell. Sam's the, the real estate developer out of Chicago. And one of the things Sam does is he's got a list of about 500 key players in his industry. And look, every industry is small. It's got the key folks who are gonna give you leads, it'll be your references, they're gonna write the articles, and head up the trade shows. These are some of the key names that you wanna put on this list. And one of the things that Sam does every year is he crafts a music box that has to do with what's going on in the world at the time. And he'll pick a song from that year. I know he's probably already chosen it for 2019. And then he rewrites the lyrics to really indicate kind of what's been happening in both the real estate industry and what's happening among countries. I can imagine the whole Trump impeachment thing is gonna be part of that script. And then he sends that out to his list. And what's neat, and you see some of those there behind him in this, in this picture, as you're traveling around then in this industry and you're in someone's offices and you see one of the Sam Zell music boxes, you know that there's a connection. Uh, something simpler and less expensive, Greg Brenneman, who is today one of my mentors, one of the top turnaround guys in the world. Greg's got a similar list of about 400 people. And what he does is he picks a book every year that he read that really touched him personally. I'm reading a really great book right now called The Diamond Cutter. And uh, supposedly based on the oldest book ever uh, written in history. And it's really beginning to touch me in a way. And so Greg will pick a book like that and he will send it to his list with a letter. And then there he talks about how it has impacted him. And then he mentions at the end, look, if I'm in your town, let's grab a cup of coffee or dinner. And Greg shared with me that he gets to about 250 of the 400 people on his list. And so let me bring it down to us mere mortal status. Uh, so one of my early students, again, was Sam Goodner, one of the Microsoft solution providers based out of Austin, Texas, one of 15,000 Microsoft solution providers. And every summer in July, Microsoft hosts this big event today. It's got about 60,000 people that attend it in Vegas. I've keynoted many years, including last year. And Sam was very diligent in going to that meeting that of the 30 to 60,000 people that were going to be there, he would sit down months before and make a list of the hundred, the hundred key people inside Microsoft and inside the industry, media personalities, influencers, that he wanted to make sure that when he went to that meeting, he connected with. And so he'd do two things. With that list, he would arrange for those people's private airport transfer to their hotel, both there and back. And then number two, he would host a party. It was the place to be and be seen for these hundred. And what's interesting is, you know, look, we would think that Microsoft would be 
logical and in giving out awards and and leads but look people are not logical they're psychological and i don't you know he ran a great company but he also won every award that microsoft could give and he ultimately networked his way to china soft on the other side of the planet and that's who he sold the company to and today it's the largest microsoft solution provider in the world and Sam will tell you the most critical thing he did every year to scale up the business was to update that list and work that list every time. Uh, I also want to remind you that we need to do it internally. So last year I had a chance to meet my hero, Carrie Smith, who scaled up this industrial manufacturing firm known as Big Ass Fans. First, I, I love the side story. It had some other name, VTCH Technologies or something, and nobody could remember it. And, People would keep calling in and say, are you guys the ones with the big ass fans? And he goes, they go, hey, maybe we ought to just change the name to big ass fans. He changed his title to chief big ass. Look, sometimes your company name and uh, others can be barriers to scaling. And look, they ended up getting more free publicity than any industrial manufacturer deserves. But one of the things when I saw Kerry last year, right after he sold the company, is he said a key routine was every week, usually it was Thursday evening, he would invite five employees. He scaled it from zero to about 600 employees. He'd invite five of those employees every week to dinner and they could bring their spouse or significant other. And he, one of the things he learned is at the beginning of that dinner to let them know that last week's group of five had already spent this much money and let's see if we can beat that because he wanted them to really have a beautiful dinner. He didn't want them just to think, oh my gosh, I'm with the boss and so I better just have a cup of soup. And that's where he really built the key relationships inside his organization so that if he needed to affect changes, he was building out what became one of the more respected cultures within a company around the world he had the supporters that he needed. I, I know Daniel within my own coaching organization of 185 plus, that there are kind of five key partners like you, that if you're on board with things that we wanna do, we're probably gonna get the 180 on board. But if one of the five of you are not, then it's gonna be much more difficult. And that's why we've got an advisory board and we spend time with you nurturing those relationships. And I work hard to try to get with one coach every single week within our network. And so you wanna start this list internally within your own organization if you need to get things done. Within your customer base of our 2000 customers, I've got the 20 that I know are influencers like Mikhail Haggerty, not only within his industry, but within YPO and other organizations. You wanna make sure you continue to nurture those relationships. And then you wanna reach out more broadly to your community and the marketplace. That is activity number one in marketing. The other four are the traditional four Ps of marketing. And I, I really think marketing strategy equals strategy. Now, the great news is I, they've been updated for the 21st century and the great ad agency, Ogilvy, is now referring to them as the four E's of marketing. And I would encourage you right down to go Google Ogilvy's four E's and you're gonna find a free slide share program you can go through and a PowerPoint and, and PDF that you can share with your team. And, and here they are in short. And we can recognize the first one is something that 
obviously the late Steve Jobs and Apple has mastered that he recognized it wasn't just the product, but it was the entire experience. It was one of the things that John Ratliff did at uh, Apple Tree is he made sure that the invoicing process was a great experience for his customers where the rest of the call centers would give him a 14 page invoice with all these extra charges and overcharges. John was able to get that down to four lines on one piece of paper. It was one of the things that differentiated his call center business from everyone else. So is every touch point uh, within your organization, the use of your website, finding you, doing business, ordering your product, is it, is it a great experience? And then you can see the other three. The, the one though I wanna drill in on for a moment is price. You know, The other three cost you money before they make money, but price is the one that can put money in your pocket immediately. And what I find interesting is we spend a lot of time on the cost side of our business. I print our own, our, our, my own books and we have almost three quarter of a million copies across the three books in print. And so if I can save any bit of a penny per page, it's real money. But I've really delegated that to Missy Giltner and our team to really negotiate with our, our printer, Quad Graphics and others. Where I need to focus more of my time on is the price side of the business. And the reality is I was an, uh, an idiot when it came to pricing. I had not read a book or taken a course and really just licking my finger and putting it to the wind. And one of the reasons why we get pricing so wrong is because it's not logical, it's psychological. Uh, Robert Cialdini, the, the godfather of influence, did an interesting experiment. And they went to a restaurant that had a wine list. And if you look at most wine lists, it's kind of organized from least expensive to most expensive. All you have to do is reverse the order of that list and put the expensive wine at the top and lease at the bottom. And you'll drive about, in that case, 26% more revenue. And then if you anchor it with a couple of really expensive bottles of wine, you could drive re revenue up 250%. So I was in Shanghai and I grabbed a photo of it. I, I should have shared it here. Uh, Adrian Walls, a YPOer that has brought the famous Joe's Pizza brand from New York to Shanghai. And he'd heard me talk about this about a year ago. So sure enough, what they did is they were selling pizza by the slice and by the pie. And on their order board, it was from least expensive to most expensive. Immediately, Adrian went back and reversed that list. And he said, sure enough, it, he didn't get the 20, 26%, but he did get roughly a 15% increase in revenue. Didn't change a pie didn't change a price, just reverse the order. And so it played itself out real time in Shanghai with the Chinese population and expat that are there visiting his Joe's Pizza. And so let me recommend a book. Uh, another mentor of mine, Herman Simon, he runs the largest pricing consultancy of the world out of Germany with offices on every corner of the planet. And he finally put his, his ideas into a book. And I would encourage you to take a look at it. Confessions of the Pricing Man, and, and I love the subtitle, How Price Affects Everything. I, I remember I was, uh, a year ago, John Ratliff was chairing the reunion class of this MIT program called Gathering of Titans, and I'd mentioned this pricing thing, and one of the entrepreneurs in the audience who does B2B, not B2C, but B2B, said, Vern, I know what you're talking about here, how psychological pricing is. He says, we created this software solution. It's a 
SaaS offering of about 30,000 a year that solves a major problem for large companies. And he said, my salespeople have not been able to sell one of them. So he decided to go into the market himself, talk to the customers and he's meeting with them. He's like, look, you guys have a big problem. They're like, we know. And we think we've got the solution. They said, it appears so. So he goes like, and it's only 30,000 a year. Why aren't you buying it? And they said, because it's only 30,000 a year. Uh, we, we feel like this is such a huge problem that surely something that cheap can't really solve it. We don't want to take a chance. It's going to cost us more to implement this than what you're charging per year. And we don't want to take a chance. Plus, at that price point, we don't know that you're going to make it and be around. And one of the customers happened intimate that he had budgeted 10x this amount to solve this multi-million dollar problem. And so this entrepreneur was smart. It didn't take him three nanoseconds to figure out to raise the price from 30,000 to 300,000. And now he can hardly service them as fast as they're flying off the shelf. And he realized that that price is more psychological than it has anything to do with the cost basis. Just think about a Samsung versus Apple phone. Basically costs the same to make. One though is 5X uh, the price. And for those of you in the business to business space, one of the courses, I think it's the most important course that Daniel and his team host on the Growth Institute is Dr. Victoria Medbeck out of Northwestern University's course on high stakes negotiation. And in there, she has a couple of really keys around price. So we don't have a chance to get into here, but I, I just want to put for you price on your radar is a important strategic decision that you need to take serious, that you need to learn about, you need to experiment with as part of the four P's or E's of marketing, which is the first key barrier to scaling. And so there's, and of course, and it's, it's accredited. The, the second barrier to scaling is what I call scalable infrastructure. And here's the challenge that as you add people, arithmetically, you geometrically increase the complexity. And so there's a couple of things that we need to look at here. First, we, we get so caught up as scale-ups of trying to run really efficient and effective functions. I mean, you know, I want a good sales function and IT and HR and, and operations that we forget that the way the customer, and here's that keyword, experiences the business is really through a set of processes that cut across those functions. And so it's one of the reasons why we created this new tool from the first book called the PACE, the Process Accountability Chart. And it's a chance for you to sit down with your team. And normally we, we encourage you with a coach or somebody experienced in process uh, design. And it takes three to four hours. And I want you to name the four to nine processes that really drive the organization. Number two, just as it's clear, Important that you're clear about who's accountable for each function. That's from our face chart, our function accountability chart. You want the same with our process accountability chart. Who's the person? Doesn't mean they know it all, do it all, make all the decisions, but they're the ones that are there to pay attention, to count it, have the ability to count, and give this process voice to scream uh, if you know loudly if there's a process problem that particularly is affecting customers as well as employees. And then number three, the only way to know if that process is running well is to measure it. 
Uh, and so one of my clients uh, early on when I was in Barcelona, they now have been sold to a Swiss firm. We set out with the chief operating officer and it took an afternoon, but we identified these key processes that drove the business, assigned a person to each one, and we began to put in place measurements. Now you'll notice several of these are common across various companies. You know, at some level, most of our companies operate the same uh, in terms of the types of processes, you wanna do them differently, uh, but there'll be some that are unique too, like for Softonic, they had this content creation in publication. And then here's how I want you to think about them. They're like hallway closets and garages. You know, you, you think you've cleaned it out and give it a year and it's all junked up again. And that's how processes are. And so I want you to get another book. And this is Jeff Sutherland's, the co-creator of Scrum. And, and again, great book, read it. But if nothing else, take the book and set it on your head of operations desk and have him or her stare at it for the rest of their life. I, I really do think for most of us, we could double, triple, quadruple the size of our company without adding any additional people. In fact, they could be working less hours if you would just clean up the processes. And so I wanna take you out to Vancouver, Canada, Ken Sims co-founded a company. This is a staff nurse staffing or nurse uh, company. Uh, one of the fastest growing because what we wanna do as we have aging parents is maybe send a nurse to their home then put them in a nursing home. Uh, side note, Ken just ran for mayor of Vancouver, lost by just a thousand votes. And I was communicating recently with Ken. He looks like he's gonna go try it again. But anyway, it was at a point when he had just 28 employees. Again, he was like many of us on this call, uh, but a thousand nurses in the field, his head of payroll came walking to his office and said, Ken, look, I'm buried. Try to keep track of all of these nurses' time and get them to submit their information and getting them paid properly. I'm, I'm working 80 hour weeks and the company has been doubling in size. And so I need some more help. And look, that's what happens as you scale. We have a tendency to want to just throw people at the process. And so Ken said, no, let's take a pause. And he brought in a consultant around lean. This is the Toyota methodology of process, continuous process improvement. And look, I'll make a very long story short. It's all detailed within the book, Scaling Up. But within a year, yes, the company had doubled in any way you wanted to describe it. Revenue, number of nurses, number of franchisees. Yet, his headcount at headquarters had dropped from 28 down to 23. He, he didn't fire anybody because of this initiative. If you do that, then people are going to stonewall you. But he lost a couple just through natural attrition and two or three actually went back into the field because uh, there wasn't anything really at headquarters for them to work on. And, and the end of that story is one day his head of payroll comes in and said, look, Ken, after cleaning up our payroll process, even though we're twice the size, I can barely find now 30 hours of work and she was able then to go work on other additional projects. Now, it wasn't just in payroll. They they had struggled through their process to bring on more no more than like one franchisee a month. Once they leaned it out, they could bring on five a month without breaking a sweat. And so, look, Ken saw that you could double, triple, quadruple, even 5x what it is that they could do with the same number of people if they just cleaned out these hallway closets and garages. And there's the book I would recommend. Um, actually, I, I wouldn't read the book, but instead Paul 
has got thousands of YouTube videos. He runs about a 500 person company himself, uh, visited by Microsoft's and the Amazons and even the Toyotas. He's based out of the Seattle area. And he's got all these videos online called Two Second Lean. And if, if you wanna have fun, just look at the Two Second Lean desk or purse or briefcase that he has videos on. But he's got examples from almost every industry and in almost every part of the aspect of the business. And if you can start just improving things two seconds at a time, again, compound interest is your friend. And so the first thing, if you really wanna to begin to address your infrastructure, is you've got to take a focus uh, as much on process as you've had on the functions if you want to scale effectively uh, without crushing the organization financially or with people. The other thing that comes with scaling up infrastructure is to realize some, some research that's clear, especially when we're doing brain work. The ideal team size is five, somewhere between four and five. It's one of the reasons why our special forces teams around the world are just four or five. We just had actually two Navy SEALs keynote our last uh, scale-up summit. It's even something that nature understands. And so part of what you've got to scale is the organization, and that means the organization chart. And I don't think it's by accident. For hundreds of years, we were really trying to organize muscle, might, to go to war or to manufacture cars. You know, we were organizing muscle. Um, and as a result, form and function often need to match. And what, there's no better structure for organizing muscle than our skeletal system. Think about the fine motor skills that we have to paint beautiful things. Yet at the same time, us little human beings can build these monstrosities like the Great Wall of China. And as a result, when you're organizing muscle, why not copy our skeletal system? head, shoulders, arms, fingers, and toes. Uh, by the way, this happens to be the real organization chart. If you want to take a chance, look at that. And there's the reference up in the corner if you want to download it. That's, that's kind of how things really work in organizations. Here's a fun one for large companies that have a tendency to squash uh, innovation and creativity. And here's a fun one out of Silicon Valley that really, uh, shows how often the organization will mirror its founder. You see their Apple, the genius with a thousand helpers as Jim Collins often referred to it. So these are fun, but the reality is we, we made a shift from our backs to our brains, from our muscle to our minds, but in most cases our organizational charts didn't. And so we have pioneering what we call the agile scale-up. And if you remember, if you're on this call and you were a startup and there was that startup team together in a room and then sales wanted their own office and accounting wanted theirs and ops. And then you began to open up sales offices and product groups and service groups. And there is this natural tendency to want us to kind of break up into smaller teams into smaller cells like our body. And the difference is it's structured more like our brain since we're doing brain work instead of our back. It's what we call an agile scale up. And the great news is it's, it's not theoretical. I, we recommend people read Frederick's book, part two, forget the first part. It's all this kind of theoretical mumbo jumbo, unless that's what you're into. And it's real case studies of companies, a uh, uh, manufacturer in France and a software company in Seattle and companies like Spotify that just got named one of the top 10 this last week, what are called future 50 firms by Fortune Magazine. One of the top 10 like Atlassian also on that list 
that are really leading uh, not only uh, other companies, but their industry uh, over the next few decades. And in there, you'll read about this nursing organization, Bootsark, out of Amsterdam that started with just four nurses, kind of a special ops team that said, we're going to scale just as that agile scale up diagram shows. And today they've got 14,000 nurses organized into teams. There's no area nurse, regional nurse, district nurse, VP of this, that, or the other thing. And, and they've not only just doing it in Amsterdam, they've moved across Germany into China and the United States. So they are spanning the globe with this new organizational approach with only 50 people at headquarters. Look at that ratio, but 18 coaches. People, people don't want managed in the 21st century, but they do need and want to be coached. And so they're structured like this. Uh, big news in China, uh, it was the cover story of Harvard Business Review last November, titled The End of Bureaucracy, which I think is ironic and the Chinese audience appreciate this, but this great entrepreneur who founded and has led Hire, the largest white goods manufacturing world based out of China, um, with 74,000 employees, you can always guess the number of middle managers and vice presidents and stuff you just divide by seven. Well, they had 10,000 middle managers that they just eliminated and organized the balance of the employees into 4,000 micro enterprises. So again, this is real, both in manufacturing, uh, healthcare, and in the services business. We even saw that with our own military as we took on a opponent, it was organized into cells, very small cells, really no head, and it was organized and linked together through social media. The great news is there is a mere mortal who has done this as well, uh, YPO member, uh, Ron Lovett, and Ron's actually on our council call every Monday now with Daniel and John and I, and he scaled up starting as a private security guard himself in Canada, Halifax, he scaled up one of the largest private security guard companies in North America, 1,500 private security guards and no area, district, regional, no VPs of this, that, and the other thing. It was 1,500 private security guards organized in kind of special op teams and eight people at headquarters, including Ron. And so I named this book the number one business book in 2018. I'd encourage you to take a look at it called Outrageous Empowerment. And I love the subtitle, the incredible story of how you can give your employees their brains back. And what people want in the 21st century is to be self-managed. And if we don't put in these kind of new org approaches as you scale, then you're going to get stuck. And so we call that the agile scale-up. And that's one of the reasons why Atlassian stock is has gone through the roof because they have created kind of the software that makes this new whole way teams work together in the 21st century happen. And so that product is Confluence. And if we've got any tech companies that are on this call, I'm guaranteeing most of you are using Atlassian's Confluence in order to drive your tech teams, the sharing and all that that happens within the organization. And then our first barrier, which we're going to talk about last, is leadership development. It really is kind of what's between our ears. And I, here I turn to my second book, The Greatest Business Decisions of All Time. And, and look, if you're, if you're an architect, you would want to study kind of the greatest buildings ever architected. And one of those obviously would be Sagrada Familia in Barcelona, where I spent uh, eight years. And I felt the same needed to happen 
in business, that we should be students of history because the greatest lesson of history is we fail to learn from history. And so with my editors at Fortune gathered up what I felt were the greatest business decisions of all time. One of those being 3M deciding in 1950 to give all of their employees 15% on the job time to work on any innovation they want to. Today, it's a company with 55,000 products and a thousand new products alone every year. And it's an idea that Google then 40 years later copy, you know, good artists borrow, great artists steal, where now they give their employees 20% on the job time. That's what's resulted in a lot of those companies that make up today Alphabet, that other side uh, of Google. And in there, I talked about the importance of a decision Bill Gates made. And I think it's interesting that a 40-some-year-old technology company like Microsoft is right at the top of the pile, battling with Apple first or second in market cap. And part of the key, I believe, was Bill Gates' understanding that the only way that you personally and as a company can remain relevant is to dedicate to education, to learning. It's, it's not a nice-to-have. It's, it's critical if you're going to be competitive. And so he would take twice a year uh, for a week his what I call Tower of Guilt, and I've piled on it here today. And you know how many people are saying, hey, when you got a moment, watch this YouTube video or read this. Somebody just sent me an HBR article, Sebastian Ross out of, out of uh, Barcelona sent that to me this morning. And these things just pile up. And, and what Bill would do is take that pile, his record was 112 books, manuscripts, PhD thesis, white papers, and he would plow through those 18 hours a day for seven days straight. And it was in these think weeks that he really extracted the ideas that have continued to make them relevant. And what I think is important is that when their new CEO came in a few years ago, he said the single most important pivot they made as a company was to move from a culture of know-it-all to a culture of learn-it-all. And that's when the company went from 300 billion to over a trillion in market cap. So this learning thing is serious. Uh, when Michael Milken, I was there at the conference speaking at it, interviewed Eric Schmidt on stage at the time he was helping the Google boys scale that organization. They said, really, what's been the key to your success? And he said, to shut my Blackberry off and read a book or two every weekend. Uh, we hosted Mark Cuban a couple of years ago. I've known him since his, his almost his early days in the IT services business in Dallas. And I didn't realize though, till I read his book 30 years later that since age 20, he has committed, had the discipline to read three hours every day. And his, his goal, to find just one idea, like I hope you have found on this webinar, just one idea every day that could help one of his 155 companies he owns or is invested in just improve 1% every week. Mark Zuckerberg is one of the few that then has copied Bill Gates on this discipline of reading. Every year, in fact, you can get a list of the 50 books that Bill Gates has read and the 26 books that Mark Zuckerberg has read. And on the 50th anniversary of Berkshire Hathaway, when they were asking Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's partner, all right, come on, what's the key? How has this guy beat the market for 50 years straight by a factor of 10? Charlie didn't hesitate. It was, he said it's Warren's first priority to always reserve much time for quiet reading and thinking, uh, really even as an advanced age. And so we think this is key. Uh, look, she was willing to take a bullet to her head in order to give women the right for education in her country. And so we think the formula is pretty straightforward. If you wanna 
10x the organization. Find that internal 10x factor that John did or 10x revenue or profitability or just free time. What, whatever that scaling means to you, you have to start by improving the knowledge of everybody in the organization, not just yours, but all employees. And so I had a very tough decision to make, which was, hey, in my first book, I got the, the infamous Tom Peters, who's been a dear friend for decades to be the cover endorser. In my second book, as Daniel mentioned, uh, Jim Collins was kind enough to write the fourth. And so who would I have on the cover of Scaling Up? And I, I turned to one of my early students. It's 1993, the wall had just come down at the turn of that decade. And things began to open up in Eastern Europe. And so in his 20s, Henry went to Poland and opened up the first Pizza Hut. Over the next 25 years, he scaled what became Europe's largest owner of restaurants in the world, including Blue Frog in China. And on their anniversary of the company, he pulled together all of his store managers from around the world in the southern Turkey. And he reflected back how not only had they scaled, but I want you to know they scaled with the best performance of any European owned restaurant chain in the world. You see this, this is a 12 year study from 2005 to 2017. It was published last year in 2018. And you see that they beat the market by a factor of two, almost two over a number of two dominoes and crushed everybody else in the industry. So it's one thing to scale. It's another thing to be one of the great performers, if not number one. In fact, by the way, they run restaurants so well using our disciplines and just their sheer focus on process that last year they were able to buy Starbucks Germany because, hey, Starbucks felt they could run it better than Starbucks could. And at that event, Henry in reflection said, I think the reason we're here and we've had this kind of performance is that we've always first seen ourselves as a training company and then a restaurant company. You know, it surprised all of us on the Fortune 500 side that Hilton was chosen the best place to work in the United States, beat all the standards, you know, that normally were at the Microsofts and the Googles and the Apples and that kind of stuff. And they won it because of their real focus on training and development of their employees and, and staff within that organization. And I don't think it's by accident that Steve Jobs, uh, who when he came back from wilderness years and had learned that the key to scaling was focus. And he saw that it, at uh, Pixar, the power of only having one priority, and that was Toy Story. And so when he got back to Apple, he pulled them out of all the other things they were working on and said, look, if we can't build a great computer. I don't want to be in the business. And then every two years, like Pixar, he released a hit. It was the iPod, then it was the iPhone, then it was the iPad, then it was the iWall. And then he had one project left. He knew he was going to die. And if you want your baby not only survive and thrive, what would it be? And it wasn't a product, but it was probably one of the best kept secrets still today. And that is he focused his last 24 months on getting Apple University established. And so again, training development may have been a nice to have when we were doing back work, but now that the competitive weapon is our brains and the collective brain power we can pull together, learning has never been more important. And so Daniel, there we go, the three barriers, leadership development, scalable infrastructure, and the criticality of marketing effectiveness.
Great, Bernard. Thank you very much. So, guys, uh, please, which of the three barriers you're struggling with the most? Um, uh, please let us know in this poll. And then, so, Daniel, I think we're going to be doing some Q&A here shortly. That's what correct. I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. So I'm hoping everyone's going to send in questions, too. That's great. We're going to do the poll. Uh, then we're going to give a couple of minutes on tools on how to implement scaling up. And then we're going to go into it. Ah, perfect. Yeah, great poll. You know, I should add this, Daniel, I should add this to my workshops. You know, we do the people strategy execution cash poll. This would be a really great poll as well for me to start gathering data on. This is awesome. Marketing, uh, scalable infrastructure, and then leadership. All right. All right. Uh, let me go to share my screen. Give me one second. Um, right, perfect. Okay, so guys, uh, that was awesome. Uh, uh, we built this. Yeah, exactly yeah. I know you probably want to make it full screen. I would click up that box. Uh, I think I'm and looks full screen. I have my iPad here. Okay. Um, right. So um, we built growth is to precisely with uh, what Vern mentioned at the end, and that's on Apple University. Uh, we've been entrepreneurs for 20 years, and we continually go through EO and YPO and all these events, we go and learn, but it's really, really hard to learn with our teams and be able to take that learning to our teams to do the leadership development. Um, so I take a lot of time traveling and going to learn, but then I take twice or three times as much time taking it down to my team and be able to help my team uh, to implement and learn what I learned. So based on that, uh, we've been chasing thought leaders like Vern all over the world for the last six years. We have over 110 thought leaders uh, today in the platform at Growth Institute. And we created a way for you to help you learn and then implement what you learn uh, with all these great thought leaders. Uh, so in the case of Vern, we believe there's three ways you could implement scaling up in your company and be able to overcome the three barriers. Uh, the number one is, of course, the book. We strongly recommend the book. Uh, Buy a box, give it to everyone your team. Uh, everyone my team has one in their desk. And whenever having a challenge or something, we go back to the book uh, and do as a reference. So strongly, strongly recommend uh, you get a book for everyone on your management team. Then the second one is it's getting a coach. I have one of 180 coaches uh, around the world. We help companies implement all over the world. But some companies say, hey, I don't want to get the full coach or I cannot afford it. Give me a third way. And that's what we build. It's a course online. We've trained people already in 64 different countries around the world, and we call the mastering, uh, the scaling of master business course 2.0. You could get more information uh, here at the website, but let me give you a little bit of the structure of how the class is built. Uh, first, you get videos directly from Vern. You get over nine hours of video of Vern teaching everything regarding scaling up in very, very small pieces of content, five, 10 minute, 15 minute videos. So you will get everything on scaling up methodology, taught directly by Vern in videos. And then we have uh, group coaching calls with Chuck. In this case, uh, he's teaching a class here on cash conversion cycle. So every week, we ask you to go and see around an hour, an hour 30 of video, and they have to come and have a live session with a coach that will help you guide getting from the learning to the implementation. And, and we're gonna review a little bit of learning and then go back to implementation, how to take this to your company. Then we're gonna give you all the tools to be able to implement what you learn in your business 
and uh, a lot of the course is designed for you to fill out the forms correctly do your one page plan do your pace and your face and all your other tools based on your business and implement and improve your business and then you have a one-on-one -on -one coaching call with chuck we really believe it's very important after you fill out all your uh, documents your one page plan and your face and the face and all the other tools you will send them to your coach and your coach will review them and be able to say hey watch out here change here whatever to be able to refine your one page plan before you implement it we've seen a lot of companies that they just read the book they fill out the page incorrectly and then they go and run uh, through the uh, doing it incorrectly so you want to make sure you get a one-on-one -on -one call with a coach to be able to review everything you've done to make sure you're in the right path to implement and scale your business and then masterminds and this is really important people said hey i came to grow this because of the videos and, and burn and all that then the coaching was great to guide me but most importantly you give me a community of people like me all over the world implementing scaling up so we put together eight to ten students uh, in a mastermind i'm here uh, teaching a mastermind you see we have people all over the world and you have a discussion with people like you implementing scaling up all over the world how they're implementing where they're getting stuck what challenges are having and how they overcome those kind of challenges so it's really really important that we help you have a connection with a community that is implementing with you all over the world and that really helps you implement and get unstuck uh, all over and people said hey i heard it from Vern, very important then i get it from a coach kind of the coach perspective but then I want to hear it directly from people that are like me, having the same challenges. So people really like uh, the masterminds. This is the only online mastermind-based scaling up program created by Vern anywhere in the world. And that's where we have students all over the world coming through the class. So what would you get on the class? You will clarify your strategy, including core values, purpose, your BHAG, long-term goals, and then be able to develop and get deep into the granular parts of the three to five year goal, one year goal, and the quarterly rocks. You're going to be able to establish your rhythm based communication systems, all your rhythm of meetings, dailies and weeklies and monthly calls, reporting calls, and then optimize your cash cycles. So you're able to have less cash uh, in your business and be able to take this cash out to be able to scale your business. So the class is by application only. We have to make sure everyone that is in the class has the level to really take from the class, but also be able to add to the community. We understand that the community is extremely important. So the only way we're going to be able to get into the class is if you're able to add to the community and be able to help other companies scale. So it's an application process. Please apply. Uh, it doesn't take much. It takes you like five minutes. Then we'll get on a phone call with you to really understand where you are, where's your business, and how is the class going to help you and you're going to help the community. So how do you qualify for this class? Very simple. Be committing at, to transform your organization. One to people that are going to really be able to learn and then implement in your business. You have to be ambitious and motivated and willing to put the work. You won't be able to just see a video and scale your company. You have to really work on your business and building your company to be able to be ready for scale. And then willing to do things differently. It's really, really important that you trust the model, that you test what we're going to teach you, and then you go and implement. So the class is limited just to 75 participants. Where we have some participants, or we will have 59 uh, people left uh, to attend. So who is it for? Founders, CEOs, top executives, and leaders of non-profit uh, organizations or for-profits. We get a lot of management team comes together. We have teams that they come five or six or seven. We had over uh, company got 11 people from the company into the same cohort. 
they all learned together and implemented together, and it was much, much easier uh, for them to be able to implement. So the cost of the class is $2,790. But if you apply before October 31st, you'll get a nine, uh, discount of $800. So it's going to be a $1,990. You don't have to pay before October 31st. You just have to apply. And as I said, the application just takes five minutes. We just want to learn a little bit about you and your company to be able to make sure you're going to be able to really learn from the uh, community and the class and be able to apply in your business. So, by the way, the one thing that we get the most uh, complaints of people being worried about time said, hey, I'm already really, really busy. I don't have a lot of time. So don't worry. The class is built with very, very flexible hours. We have to take around three hours a week for 10 weeks. Uh, so some people said, hey, one day a week, I just go back home, put my kids to bed at 9 a.m., 9 p.m., and then go into a computer at 9 to 12. And one day a week, I get all my things done in the class. And that way, um, I'm able to implement and improve all the things in my company. So it's really, really flexible the way it's done. All the live sessions, if you could not attend live, don't worry. They're going to be recorded so you could see them after. So you have to apply before October 31st if you want to a one day $100 discount. And if you want to apply, you have to go to growthinstitute.com forward slash scaling up. All right, great. Uh, so let's go into the Q&A. Alex, send me the questions uh, now. So, Averna, are you back? Daniel, as we um, get started, let me let me just go back on the three things you talked about. It's you know it's an either or or an and on the books. Um, very precisely, you can go to scalingup.com, and as you said, you get a whole box of books for ten dollars a book, which is literally half what they cost on Amazon. And then I encourage the employees to read just the barriers chapter, the core chapter, and the execution section. So. It, makes it much easier for them to go through the book and it'll be much quicker to support it. Then obviously a coach is critical, uh, either online as you've got or in person, but even companies with a coach, I still like to see everybody in the organization go through the two and a half hours or at least the senior leadership so that you don't have to spend so much time reteaching. You can really dig into either if you're self-coaching or with a coach, the material. And so I see all three working very closely together uh, and, and augmenting each other. So uh, Q&A. Perfect. Uh, thank you very much for that. So can you speak on leading leaders with leading employees? What is the difference? What's that? I, I missed the, the question. What is the difference between leading employees and leading other leaders in your organization? Well, look, first of all, you need every employee to lead. Now, when I say every employee, what, they have some interesting research. Good companies have about a third of their people that can kind of self-manage, and two-thirds you have to hold their hands. And in a, in a great company, it's two-thirds that can self-lead. There might still be a third that you need to hold their hands. So no one's going to get to 100%. Um, but people are people, and almost everything that we're doing to coach frontline, the senior team, uh, is the same. Obviously, the issues are different. Often the magnitude is different, but the approaches, whether it's how we run a daily huddle with a frontline or how the senior team runs a frontline uh, or the weekly meeting. Again, topics will be different. The length may be different, often shorter for frontline than it is for longer, um, but the approach is going to be the same. Perfect. Thank you. Um, are there specific strategies for setting pricing 
especially seasonal pricing um, uh, that you recommend? Well, so I don't know if they're in, in retail or business to business, but one of the things I want to know, you know, who's the wealthiest guy on the planet next to Putin? And that's been Jeff Bezos. So it looked like Bill Gates might have passed uh, Jeff again this week. One of the things I think people need to reflect on with Amazon is how often does price change? It's not a seasonal thing. It is every minute because they're really using data as a way to understand market demand at any one moment and then adjusting price accordingly. My books price on online has changed from $15 to $22 in every place in between. The challenge with a traditional retailer is they put a sticker on it and the only time they change it is when it's out of season and you've got to discount it. So uh, the ability to let price change with demand, which is exactly why the airlines are super profitable today and every, every plane I've been on recently is packed. There isn't a single person who paid the same price for a seat on that airplane where it used to be a fixed price uh, years ago. On the business to business side, that's where Victoria gets into the details around making sure that you offer three prices. If you're in a competitive bid situation or you're trying to win back uh, or renew a contract and you know there's competition, there's some real pricing strategies in there. Good, better, best, for instance, and you want to go best than uh, better than good in that order that allow you both to get uh, increased in price typically and to win over on the competition. There, I don't think they must not be business to business because there typically isn't the seasonality as you would see in retail. But what you want to be is you want to be 365 times 24 hours a day seasonal. Uh, versus four times a year. Okay, thank you, Vern. Um, someone is asking about the EO Accelerator program uh, yeah. that is, is like similar curriculum. And by the way, guys, uh, Growth Institute is the one that has the contract with EO, and everything you see on EO Accelerator program is provided by Growth Institute based on 100% on scaling up methodology. Uh, Vern, what would you think will be the difference between the online class and EO Accelerator? Uh, None. We we designed uh, the EO, as you said, the EO Accelerator program is based on our scaling up methodologies, all the tools that are part of our growth toolkit, and that's what we cover in the online course. So it's really that online course uh, that's taught then in accelerator sessions. Perfect. Thank you. Um, hi, Vern. We're a small company growing 20% a year consistently since we launched five years ago and they are a subscription-based business. They have no funding and no marketing or sales team at all. Everything has been through word of mouth. They have 2,000 paid subscribers. How important would you think it's to start spending money on a consistent and ongoing marketing campaign at this point? Yeah, well, if you go back and look at, by the way, first of all, congratulations, 20% a year, five years, word of mouth. That's why the four Ps and particularly the four E's are powerful. Uh, none of those implied that you had to have big budgets. Uh, you want it to be a great experience and probably because of what you offer is a great experience. That's why you're getting wonderful word of mouth. And I would almost rather you, as Jeffrey Moore said, one of Regis McKenna's guys, 
if you've got marginal budget, spend it on making the product or service better, easier, more convenient than on a marketing budget, so to speak. So marketing activity is first getting the product and service right. Obviously, price uh, is a variable that doesn't cost you money, but makes you money. Number three, when it came to promotion, um, what we really know is that you want evangelists. Most of us can't afford big marketing promotion budgets anyway. And if you look at the top brands, Facebook, Google, Apple, you don't see a lot of advertising anyway because they have such domination of their niche and uh, word of mouth power. And then when it talks about place or every place, you just need to show up wherever your customers are that are key. And if uh, Sam Goodner had any kind of marketing budget, he spent it on really uh, focus on those hundred key people listed he'd made at the big Microsoft Global World uh, Conference. So none of those four P's or E's implied that you had to spend anything, particularly on external traditional marketing. It was all about getting the product right and experience right and being where everybody is, you know, at the right trade shows, not maybe having a booth, but putting on the event that's really going to attract the right 100 people out of the 10,000 you need to reach. Perfect. Thank you. Um, someone said, hey, I'm really lost here as an entrepreneur. Uh, he has three models in the same company, uh, fitness service, distribution equipment, and consulting marketing. Yeah. Do you recommend he focus just on one out of the three? Well, you know, it's interesting. When we All the work we do in India and China and other parts of the world, many of these family businesses have got really disparately different kind of businesses that they're going after. Clearly, George Nadu, who founded Boston Chicken, teaches us up at our MIT program, it's hard to sit on two toilets. And so it's best if you could choose the one that you think has the biggest profit pool and either use the other two as bolt-on services that add to the 100% experience. So what we're exactly doing, Daniel, at our company, you know, we've got the, the online education, we have the coaching, we've got the technology platform. We have now integrated that into a 100% solution uh, under a common brand for this very reason. Uh, and that's where you've got to decide, like, like uh, Steve Jobs did. He decided to get out of printers because he didn't think they could have an advantage in the marketplace and there were other options. But he absolutely, as a hardware manufacturer, added music distribution. I mean, you go get more different than hardware and music distribution, but those two he needed to bolt together so that there was that ease of experience that his customer is looking for. So try to get down to one offering. It may require bolting those three together uh, or sell one off and drive your focus around the one that's the most profitable. Perfect, thank you. Um, how would scaling up growth strategy works with disruptive innovation? Well, that's why we're partners with Daniel, as you know, Salim Ishmael with Exponential Organization. I, you know, when I launched Scaling Up uh, in 2014, I was honored in a way, and it proved how smart Amazon's uh, artificial intelligent uh, models are. They paired my book with Salim's book, Exponential Organizations, because you know, as Jim Collins said, you've got to uh, preserve the core. And as Salim and I share being on stage together at your summit in Mexico, 
city that the core is really our Rockefeller habits 2.0. These are fundamentals that haven't changed, but you have to stimulate progress. And somehow or another, you got to bring innovation together with what it is that you're already doing. And that has been the perfect blend of exponential organizations and scaling up. So I'd encourage everyone who's gone through my course, the next course they take is Salim's that you offer online. Or at least read his book. Perfect. Thank you. Um, you said routine sets you free. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Um, you know, a simple example is breathing. I mean, could you imagine if you had to think about breathing? You wouldn't, you couldn't get anything else done or you had to tell your heart to, to, to beat. Thank goodness those things are routines. They've been automated. They're just habit. Uh, and that gives you freedom to do and focus on other things. And these similar kind of routines or habits like the daily huddle uh, and the others that we recommend, we've got 10 of them in our Rockefeller Habits Checklist by making, putting those in, in some sense on automatic pilot. Uh, it's just the way we do business. Ultimately frees you up then to do the more important things. So for instance, be very precise. Uh, John Ratliff would not have thought to operate a nanosecond without a daily huddle. All of his employees, 650 at, at Apple Tree in that daily huddle. And what he discovered is that for every minute somebody was in a daily huddle, it literally bought them back 10 minutes. So if you're in an eight minute daily huddle, which was kind of the average length of his, that got you 80 minutes back that saved you from having to look at a bunch of other emails and try to solve problems through email and tracking people down. Cause you knew the one time every day when everyone was gonna be synced up and that solved a lot of communication challenges right then. So that's the kind of ROI you get from like the daily huddle and the other habits that we put in place. Perfect. Um, and then last question before we uh, wrap this up. Um, Hybrid, we're a private label manufacturer and have grown our business north of 10 million wow. with word of mouth marketing. We're now looking to set our sights to 25 million uh, in the next 10 years. What should we do our marketing consist of or what kind of marketing we should do moving forward? Yeah. Well, hey, first of all, Congratulations hitting the 10 million mark. That puts you in like rarefied space around the planet. Less than a half a percent of companies get there. Number two, shoot for 40 or 50 million. 25 million is a odd size. And, and there's a lot of reasons why that is in terms of average revenue per employee and number of employees and boom. But I would, I would shoot for higher. Uh, and why not? I mean, if you miss it, you're probably still going to get to 25. But if you set 25, um, it may not be aggressive enough. Uh, and so I'd set for higher. In terms of marketing, it, it's not gonna change. The same five activities you wanna focus on, you just might go from an hour to three hours like Steve Jobs did. It always comes back to working that influencer list. Today, Greg Brenneman raises billions at a time in turning around major companies as part of his company, Turnworks, and it's off that same list that he's gone out and nurtured for decades. Same with Sam Zell, who's now doing billions of, of activity and real estate projects, and he's not doing any marketing budget at all. He's really working that insider list within his industry. So that is the most important thing for you to focus on as part of your marketing activities, and then spend money on airline tickets and dinners and coffees and getting out to people and hosting folks and events. 
Uh, and then you're going to work the four P's or four E's of marketing. So the good news is uh, it's the same hour to three hours every week. It's the same topics, but the decision you're going to make are just going to be at a different level. Perfect. Uh, so, Vernon, thank you very much for your time and your wisdom. It's always uh, amazing uh, to be able to learn from you directly. Uh, so, guys, we're going to wrap up this. By the way, Alex, uh, the head of Growth Institute, uh, the growth team, and myself will stay on the call after Vern leaves. If someone has questions about the application process, we'll save some minutes uh, to talk with you. But Vern, thank you very, very much. We really appreciate uh, your time and your guidance. And remember, if you want to apply for this cohort of 75 uh, executives going through scaling up, you have to go to growthinstitute.com forward slash scaling up. So Vern, thank you very much uh, for being here. And thank you. Uh, we'd love to learn from you and be able to scale our companies. Thank you all. You got it. Daniel, Alex, and all team, thank you guys so much as well. And thank you for all dialing in. Hope you got a couple of ideas that are going to be helpful. Yeah, thank you all for your time. We understand that one thing that you don't have is time. So that you spend 90 minutes with us has been amazing. And guys, uh, we're here. If you have any questions regarding the application process or the class, uh, Alex and I will stay on the call to be able to answer any of your questions. Yeah, um, I, do, I do want to congratulate Christopher, Stefan, David, um, they've already submitted their applications, so we look forward to looking through those. Um, and just the way that the application process works, uh, we'll be reviewing your applications as a team. Um, if you see us snooping around your LinkedIn, we're just getting a sense of your network and, and your experiences. Um, and then if we do have any other questions, one of our business growth strategists on the team, either Austin or Mario, will be in touch. Uh, to ask some other questions, but we normally get through the applications uh, within 24 to 48 hours, so you can uh, look to hear from us pretty quickly after you submit your applications. Um, Elba is asking if this recording will be available. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we'll be sending it tomorrow. Uh, and I see uh, Sarah's asking, is the class for executives only? Um, nope, we do recommend that executives participate in this program, but we love to have them bring uh, other people on the team as well to really make this a well-rounded and group-focused program because you cannot implement scaling up on your own. You have to do it as a team. You have to have people aligned around uh, the systems and processes that Vern teaches. Uh, Enrique is asking, is it English or Spanish? We have both, Enrique. So um, you can send us an email. Uh, my email is alex at growthinstitute.com and I can give you some more information at, on both. Um, do we have any coaches in the UAE who you can recommend? Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm gonna put my email address in the chat for you. So if you have questions about that, uh, give me one second. If you have questions about coaching, you can send me an email uh, and I can make an introduction. Uh, Gabriel's asking the total duration. It's a 12-week program, Gabriel. Uh, it takes about three hours a week. We have some gap weeks in case um, you need to catch up on things. Uh, there's eight like weekly sessions, but it's over a 12-week period. Um, coaches in Pakistan, in India, uh, I do not have specifics on me right now, but again, if you send me an email at alex at growthinstitute.com, I can definitely uh, steer you in the right direction and provide the resources that you need. Um, guys, uh, yeah. uh, we, we, there's a lot of coaching that can be done remotely. 
so if you're in a region that we don't have a coach and you want to coach, we, we do, we've done remote coaching for many, many times. Uh, uh, indeed, I have a client uh, today uh, in Pakistan that I'm coaching uh, remotely and things are going great. So, so don't worry for that. Just email us and we'll be happy to guide you to the right person. Um, can you say who coached? Hey, Daniel. Daniel, yes. it's yes. Vern. Hey, yes. I just want to let them know I, you know, I only have one client myself, a company called Mind, M-Y-N-D, out of California. And almost all of my coaching is done online. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's amazing how well that works remotely, um, which I really feel is part of the future of our industry. And because people need the flexibility and who wants to get on an airplane and, and, and put up with all the costs of that. I think that's why these online courses are really becoming the rage globally for that reason. That's great because as you said, the coaching now with all the tools that we have on the videos, it's great just to show a video with your team and then have a coaching call uh, with a coach. It's very, very easy to do that. And that's well, a program uh, we're piloting with YPO, remember? Uh, yeah, well, and that's what I just did with the client. I, I went to the Growth Institute and we used Denise Lee Young's video. I used the videos as a way to set up the topic that I want to discuss next with the client. Because why should I spend all that time teaching? That's, it's kind of the reverse classroom, which is becoming popular now in normal education. Uh, why sit there and, and listen and pay for a teacher to drone on when you can do it on your own via video? And then you can get in the classroom and discuss, which is what your guys are able to do online and I'm able to do with my clients. So they watch Denise's one hour video on fusion and which they loved on how they need to fuse their internal culture with their external brand. By the way, about 300 million in market cap on their way to a billion, just 36 months in, the, in business. So very rapid growth. And that set it up for us to have a really fruitful two hour conversation around what they were gonna do about the things that Denise was teaching on fusing culture and brand. So Daniel, I really appreciate the resources you're providing all of us. Thank you. Uh, so we're getting a couple of more questions. The course is gonna start on December 11th, uh, but remember the early bird applications are only open for the next three days until the 31st. Um, and for those of you who are asking, still about coaching, um, just remember that the coaching is actually a component of the online program as well. So you have the opportunity to have one-on-one -on -one coaching as well. The masterminds are facilitated by coaches. So it's an opportunity to meet different coaches from different parts of the world um, and connect with them uh, and your, your, uh, your colleagues through these kind of intimate settings and conversations. I'm um, just seeing if there's any other questions coming through. Um, I think that's it. So uh, again, thank you guys all for being here. Uh, look forward to seeing your applications come through. Uh, as we were just talking about this, we just got another two or three. Um, and so, yeah, look forward to working with you in the course. And if you have any questions, again, my email is alex at growthinstitute.com. And we look forward to working with you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, guys. Have a good day. Bye-bye.